privilege to be behind this uh, pulpit once again. I appreciate very much the invitation to preach, and I definitely don't take it lightly. This is the pulpit that God has entrusted Pastor Hovey with, and as a pastor of myself, only for six years now, but being a pastor myself, I know not only the responsibility that comes along with that, but also that the pastor is putting his neck on the line when he allows somebody else to stand behind his pulpit. And so I'll do my best to be worthy of that trust. I was also here, uh, very thrilled to hear that uh, you recently celebrated Pastor and Mrs. Hovey's 35th anniversary serving this church. And that's a, both a testimony of God's grace and of their commitment to you all and their love for you all. You may not realize this, but the average mainline church sees a new pastor about every four years. And your pastor and his wife have stuck with you for almost 10 times that, with God's help. And I just wanted to say, praise God for your pastor and for the men that he surrounded himself with. I'm always encouraged when I'm with you, with all of the godly men. I sat in Sunday school this morning, and just what a great lesson that was. And then just seeing all the men that are here serving the Lord. A pastor has surrounded himself with some good, godly men. And you ought to praise God for that. This morning... I wonder if you're like me, and you've been a bit overwhelmed with the torrent of wickedness in our culture and society lately. Uh, it seems like the floodgates are opening. It seems as if there's no more restraint, that nothing is off limits any longer, and the speed at which we are seeing one wicked thing after another foisted on our culture and on our children and in our churches is mind-boggling. Anybody with me like that this morning? All right, good. Have you ever seen a dam or a dike that's about to give way? You know, maybe you played with uh, water as a kid, and you would try to hold back the water with the sand. Or maybe you've seen rivers that are close to the sea that give way and join up with the sea. The principle and the progression is the same in every case. First, there's a small trickle. You know, the water flows Quickly, constantly, steadily, but it's so small, it, it seems insignificant. It seems like there's hardly much there at all. But what you might not see is that that trickle of water is steadily weakening the surrounding structure or sand and wearing it away bit by bit until suddenly everything just gives way and water rushes out at a furious and frightening pace. And that's what our society reminds me of lately. You know, we've seen the hole in the wall of righteousness. We've noticed this constant trickle of, of wickedness. And, and we've seen it come, you know, here and there just a little bit over the past decades. And then now, all of a sudden, the gap's a geyser. And we're feeling this, the wickedness rise higher and higher day by day. New headlines every day. And we're feeling overwhelmed. But what you may not realize, perhaps, God's people have been in this circumstance before. For example, the state of the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city that housed the very temple of God, Jerusalem had become so wicked that in the book of Ezekiel, God refers to her over and over and over again as the bloody city, the city of Jerusalem. And this morning, I want us to consider what it says in Ezekiel chapter 22. And for sake of time, we'll read verses 23 through 31. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. 
There is conspiracy of our prophets in the midst thereof. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. What you have to remember is that when it comes to the nation of Israel, God made a very clear covenant with them regarding the promised land. I'll sum it up for you and just paraphrase. You can find it in the book of Deuteronomy. But essentially, he told them that as long as they love the Lord their God, as, as long as they seek Him, as long as they obey His commandments, His provision and His protection would be on them. But if they forgot the Lord, if they sought after other false gods, if they fell into wickedness, He would withdraw His protection and allow them to be utterly and completely destroyed. And what God is saying in Ezekiel is that the hedge the wall of his protection around Jerusalem, around his people, had been breached. The defenses were compromised, and disaster was imminent. And God searches for a man who would stand in that gap, who would make up that breach, who would hold the line against unrighteousness and ungodliness, that would fight to keep the city from being overrun by the enemy, but he found no such man. And though we're not Israel... This is definitely not Jerusalem. I believe that God is still seeking out men today. I believe that God is still seeking men that would be willing to stand in the gap, to hold the line, to fight the good fight of faith for Jesus Christ. It's never enough to see the hole in the wall. It's never enough to, to acknowledge, well, we've got a big problem over here. It's, it's not enough to walk by every day and say, boy, I sure hope somebody will will." do something about that. I sure hope somebody will patch that up. I sure hope that somebody comes along that will fix this problem and this issue and then go about your life. That's what was happening in Jerusalem. Understand this morning, the wall has been breached. The enemy is prepared to attack. And unless there's a man that will take it upon himself to stand in the gap and defend the city, she will be utterly and completely destroyed. You might think, well, preacher, this is America. I mean, we have a constitution. We have a Supreme Court. Our freedoms are all protected. They'll never tear our country down. And if it gets bad enough, this is Texas. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to realize something. You are echoing, if that's, if that's the way you're looking at our society right now, you're echoing what the false prophets in Ezekiel's day were preaching. You know what they were saying? This is Jerusalem. God's temple is right there. 
He'll never forsake us. He'll always protect us. No enemy could ever prevail against the city of God. They were wrong. The city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The wall of God's protection had been breached, and no man took up the cause and stood against the enemy of wickedness and ungodliness. And this morning, I would like to carry this theme all throughout the Scriptures and examine men that stood in the gap of their day and fought the good fight of faith for God. Consider, first of all, the largest gap of all, the gap of propitiation. The gap of propitiation. The greatest gap that mankind has ever known is the gap between the holy God and sinful men. No man is good in and of himself. No man is righteous in and of himself. We are all of us sinners. We fall so far short of God's glory. As it says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And since that day, that first man sinned in the Garden of Eden, all men are born sinners, and sin carries the penalty of death. Romans 6, 23, The wages of sin is death. And that death has passed upon all men without exception. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And this is much more than just a physical death that all of us must face. This is a spiritual death. We're born sinners. We're born spiritually dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins, as we heard read already this morning from the book of Ephesians. And you can find it also in Colossians, that we are dead in our sins. We are dead to righteousness. We are spiritually impotent on our own. A dead man can't make himself alive again. A dead man can't do any good works or redeem himself. A dead man can't save himself from death. He's dead. There's a great gap between the living God and dead, sinful men. And God sought for a man to stand in that gap. But there was no man worthy to reconcile sinners to God. There was no such man. Yet God's Son, being one of the Godhead, being very God of very God, being totally and completely equal with God, according to the perfect plan of God, what did he do? He became a man, a perfect man, a sinless man, the God-man. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was a great gap in our propitiation. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of all the universe, became a man and stood in that gap. Hebrews 2.16 says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, the nature of a man. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He became a man so that he could reconcile a holy God and sinful men. And because sin required death, he willingly went to the cross and died our death. 
He bore our sins in His body on that tree. He took our place. He became our substitute. He bore our wrath for our sin. He did it for you. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall they appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ became a man and stood in the gap of propitiation. And this is an act of the love of God. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, dead in our sins, Christ died for us. God's great love for men drives the desire in His heart that all men be saved. And so He offered up His Son, Jesus Christ, in our place to bridge the gap between God and men that all men might come to Him. John 14, 6, the verse that I got saved by when I was nine years old, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And now we who were dead can be born again. And, the, and we that were dead can be raised to walk in newness of life. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ stood in the gap for you for propitiation? He stood in that gap. And aren't you glad that the God in heaven found a man who would stand in that gap and die your death and offer you eternal life? 1 John 5.11 says that this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Jesus stands in the gap. He stands between God and men. He is the one and only mediator. You must go through Him and He wants you to come to Him. 1 Timothy 2 says in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus stood in the gap of propitiation. That's definitely not a gap that you and I could ever fill. Many try to fill it for themselves, but only Jesus can. And thank God He filled it for us. So consider then a gap that has been filled by men. The gap of prayer. The gap of prayer. You know, when I consider men from the Bible that stood in the gap of prayer, there are many that come to mind, but I'd like to consider just three this morning. And I'd like to start with the man Moses. Moses was a man that stood in the gap of prayer in his day. And we find in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7 through 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Much like the circumstances of Ezekiel chapter 22, the people that God had called out of Egypt, who had seen his wonders, who had seen all of his miracles, who had just passed through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground, and then who had seen Pharaoh's entire army completely destroyed by God, that same people were already serving idols, were already reveling in wickedness. And understandably, God's anger was kindled against them. He's a jealous God. He's a holy God. He must punish and judge wickedness and sins. And God declares to Moses what seems like a pretty decent deal to me. He says, uh, Moses, forget these stubborn people. I'll wipe them out and start over with you. That would have saved Moses a lot of heartache. But Moses was a humble man. He was a man that had a heart for God. He was also a man that had, a, had compassion on the people of God, and he stood in the gap of prayer and begged God to be merciful to the children of Israel. Did they deserve God's judgment? Absolutely they did. Uh, could God start fresh and build a nation through Moses? Absolutely, he sure could. But Moses cried out on behalf of that wicked, stubborn, rebellious people and begged God for mercy. Do you think that our nation is in need of God's mercy today? Do you believe that the wickedness of our own society has grieved the heart of God and has kindled His anger? We that have spurned and spoiled that sacred institution of marriage against God's perfect design. We that are declaring daily in our society that God's intentions and image in creating the man and the woman are no longer relevant or right. That we that have worshipped the idol of self on whose altar we've sacrificed millions of our own children before they ever see the light of day. Do you realize that this nation, yes, even America, is on the brink of seeing God's hand of blessing and protection completely withdrawn, and God is searching for a man like Moses that would stand in the gap of prayer and beg God on behalf of this country and this culture? John Wesley, the English preacher, whom God used to bring revival and reform to the Church of England, said this about standing in the gap of prayer. He said, Bear up the hands that hang down. By faith and prayer, support the tottering knee. Reprove, encourage, storm the throne of grace and persevere therein, and mercy will come down. We need men today that would stand in the gap of prayer and storm the throne of grace and beg God for mercy for this society and for this culture that we live in. We also need men like the second man of prayer, Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was the prophet of God in the nation of Israel. He was the prophet during the reign of Ahab, a wicked, self-centered, and idolatrous king who despised the word of the Lord. This man was far more wicked than those that reigned before him. God himself said in 1 Kings 16.30 that 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. You know, it's true we face some wicked people in places of power today. But folks, Elijah served God under, under the literal reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And what is Elijah remembered for according to the book of James? He was a righteous man of fervent prayer. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah prayed, and it did not rain. Elijah prayed, and you ought to study this prayer sometime, because he doesn't actually ask for what he wants. He just says, Lord, hear me, and show yourself. Elijah prayed, and fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, the stones of the altar, and even the 12 barrels worth of water that filled the trench around the altar. Elijah prayed, and it rained once more. The power of God was poured out on Elijah, a man of prayer, a fervent, persistent prayer. It was Samuel Chadwick that said, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. What separates those in this room from Elijah? He was only a man, but he was a man that stood in the gap of prayer. In spite of the wicked rulers of his day, like the man Moses, Elijah prayed. And I also think of Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is a man whose prayer life was consistent no matter what. He was a man that begged God in prayer for the revival of his nation. He was a man that called upon God in prayer to reveal the mysteries of the king's forgotten dream. He was a man that prayed daily, three times each day, and when he knew that the king had been conned into making Daniel's prayers illegal and punishable by a terrible death in the den of lions, what was his response? He stood in the gap of prayer and prayed just as he always had. Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I dare say that a vast number of us in this room do not have a consistent daily prayer time, let alone a fervent season of prayer three times a day. It's perfectly legal. but we don't pray. And God give us men of prayer like Daniel and like Elijah and like Moses who will stand in the gap of prayer. I want you to consider also the gap of purpose. The gap of purpose. If there was ever a man that stood in the gap of the purpose of God, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. It was the Apostle Paul that wrote, the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
Paul understood the purpose to which God had called him, and he pursued it with unrelenting drive and passion. Philippians 3.14, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His purpose did not waver in the face of persecution or even in the face of death. He faced peril after peril, but he pressed on in the ministry of Christ. He faced criticisms. He faced angry mobs. He faced death threats. He faced betrayals and schemes of men, and still he stood in the gap of the purpose of Christ. You know, there came a time when the church, the church was literally begging Paul, wait, Paul, slow down. Paul, don't go. He was told over and over and over again by prophecy and by the Spirit that if he went back to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and imprisoned. And yet he says in Acts 20, verse 24, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Further on in that same journey, the Christians, hearing of what would certainly be his fate, begged him to reconsider. And he said, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul was a man that understood God's purpose for him. And he stood in the gap of that purpose, unwavering for Christ. Oh, to have men with that kind of determination and dedication to Christ today. I mean, nowadays, if we endeavored to serve Christ and we faced angry mobs and we faced death threats and shipwrecks and imprisonment, we might declare, well, that's a closed door if ever I saw one. I mean, God definitely doesn't want me to go there. It must not be in his will because certainly God will make my calling as convenient as possible. Surely God would give us good health, receptive listeners, open opportunities, to serve our purpose for Christ. Well, certainly not in Paul's case. He suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered some more, but he never lost sight of God's purpose for him. His heart, in Philippians 3.10, is that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Friend, what's keeping you from stepping into the gap of God's purpose in your life? What small and insignificant excuse have you stopped you from serving the Lord that has benched you? You know, it's time to grow up and stand up in the gap of God's purpose. This is what God has called me to do, and with his help, I will do it. accepting who you are in Christ, begging him, begging him to be used by him. We need men like Isaiah. Lord, here am I. Send me. God said they won't listen. Nevertheless, Isaiah went. We must stand in the gap of prayer. We must stand in the gap of purpose. We also must stand in the gap of preaching. Preaching. There's two verses I'd like you to consider, and I'll give you several quick examples to ponder about this. But the first verse is Mark 16, 15. Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is a verse that we know. This is our commission. 
This is our Savior speaking to his disciples, telling them what their mission would be, to preach the gospel to every creature. And then in the book of Acts, after Stephen is martyred, the church faces fierce persecution and they are scattered because of it. And it says in Acts 8.4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And I want you to realize who's doing the preaching. This was not the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. These were not pastors or evangelists or missionaries. These were everyday church people like you. Even more incredible, these people were young in their faith, probably saved for a year or less. And persecution came, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. These Christians understood their calling as church members, and everywhere they went, they stood in the gap of preaching and declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. How far would you go to stand in the gap of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? I met a missionary just recently. Her name is Carrie Phillips. Carrie Phillips knew she was going to serve God. She knew that he had called her to serve him. And so she did what many young girls with a burning desire to serve the Lord do. She went to Bible college. It was during her time there that she met a man who also had a heart for the ministry. And he believed that God had called him to be a pastor, and so he was training there at the Bible college in preparation. And they were engaged. They were ready to be married. And Carrie was content in the knowledge that in the near future, she would be a busy pastor's wife, serving alongside her husband for the Lord in the ministry. But then the young man's faith wavered, and Carrie's fiancé asked her, if she would be willing to follow him while he figured out what he really believed. Well, I heard this story at the dinner table, and I looked at my daughter, and I said, Honey, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> but for Carrie, it was a very heartbreaking no. She knew that God had put it in her heart to serve him, but now, now where would she serve? Now all of the things that she thought God was doing fell apart, and she had all the desire and no idea what to do. So she finished her education and became a Christian school teacher in a Baptist school. And she believed that God wanted her to be in the ministry. And so she was constantly watching for opportunities, all the while teaching in that school. Many times she brought a need for a teacher on the mission field to her pastor and his wife. But every time they told her that they were praying that God would give her a husband first. And she submitted to her pastor, and she stayed teaching in that school. For five years, she taught there, until finally she brought her pastor an article in a missions uh, magazine about the need for teachers in the mission field of Uganda. And it just so happened that the missionaries that wrote that article were in the church library that very Sunday. And after Carrie and her pastor and these missionaries talked, they all agreed she would go to Uganda. And she has served God there mightily in an orphanage, in training national Christian teachers, and now she does Bible and basketball programs in the public schools, openly sharing Jesus with the children there. Carrie saw a gap, and she stood in that gap every way she possibly could and continues to stand in that gap for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want Bible examples, consider Philip. Philip preached everywhere he went and God used him uh, to reach the Ethiopian eunuch and preach to him Christ. 
Consider Peter. Peter preached boldly every time a crowd gathered. And in spite of the threatenings of the religious leaders, he preached Christ and thousands were saved. Consider Paul who preached Christ crucified and saw churches planted all throughout the known world and gave his life preaching Christ. Consider all the people of God throughout all the ages of history who have continued to stand in the gap of preaching and thank God who brought the message of the gospel to your ears. What a legacy of preaching that's been entrusted to us. Will it die with you? Has it? You know, there are so many other principles we could consider throughout the Scriptures. Purity, for example. Joseph, Daniel, others that refuse to be defiled by sin. We could go on like this all day, but I think these three are enough to consider for now. Do you know the one that stood in the gap of propitiation for you? Do you realize that Jesus, God's only Son, died in your place, took on Himself your penalty so that you could be set free from the punishment of hell and live eternally with Him in heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He stood in the gap for you. Do you stand in the gap of prayer? Prayer for God's people like Moses. Prayer for this nation. Prayer that is consistent and constant like Daniel, no matter what. Do you stand in the gap of God's purpose for you? Are you doing what He's called you to do? Are you living how He wants you to live? What does it take to bench you for Christ? Or are you standing in the gap of His purpose? You know, the world... Even Christians will tell you, just, just settle for mediocrity. Just, no. You, you, don't, you don't have to be that radical about this stuff. And you don't have to be concerned with this or concerned with that. Just, just settle for mediocrity. God never calls you to settle. He calls you to serve. So are you? I'm not talking about getting up behind the pulpit and preaching. It, it might be serving in your workplace. It might be witnessing to your neighbor or your family members. It might be working in the church. It might be cleaning. I don't know what it is. Whatever God has called you to do, are you doing it? Are you living for Him, for His purpose? And do you stand in the gap of preaching? Does the gospel message spread because of you or in spite of you? All of us are called to fill that particular gap. You know, our society is deteriorating. Yes, wickedness is increasing. Yes, it can get very overwhelming. The wall has been preached, breached, the defenses are failing, and God is still seeking for a man or a woman that would stand in the gap and fight the spiritual battles against the enemy. Will you be that man? Will you be that Woman, will you do what God has called you to do and say, though no one else will stand, I will stand. I will fight this battle. Or will God come to the same conclusion that he did in Ezekiel chapter 22? I found none. Heaven forbid. God give us men and women who would take it upon themselves to stand 
in the gap. Let's bow our heads this morning. I just have two, two simple questions for you this morning. The first, we are all of us dead in our trespasses and sins. Our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God and earns us punishment in a real place called hell. And Jesus loved you so much that he became a man and he stood in the gap between you and God and he offers you eternal life. He died your death. He paid your penalty. This morning, do you know him as personal Lord and Savior? Because a dead man can't do anything for himself, he's dead. But Christ, the risen Son of God, wants to save your soul. This morning, when we sing, I'd encourage you, if there's any questions in your mind at all about your relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to step out of your seat and come down here and get those questions answered today. The second question I have for you is this. Is there a gap in your life that you have not been standing in? It's never good enough to notice the gap and hope somebody else fills it. God searches for a man. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, don't leave this place without making that commitment in your heart, solidifying that in your heart, crying out to God, Lord, give me strength to stand in that gap. Maybe there's some things that you need to get right. Maybe you need to come forward and pray. Maybe you need to pray in your seat. Maybe you need to seek out somebody that can encourage you from Scripture. Whatever the need is in your heart this morning, as the as Aaron leads us, you come.